Hi there, thanks for joining me for episode number 25 of the Sports Stories podcast. The intent of the Sports Stories podcast is to share sports stories and in turn inspire, educate and motivate you, the listener, to be the best version of yourself. Well, today's guest in sharing his story will most definitely inspire you and demonstrate that hard work really pays off. I'm delighted to be speaking with Sanjeev Arora for a number of reasons. Sanjeev is the first sports lawyer we have had on the podcast and has, through hard work and determination, worked his way up to playing a significant role within FIFA. Working for FIFA is probably many football fans as a dream. Sanjeev, being a British-born Asian, also has a passion to support the development and talent identification of British Asian footballers. So let me introduce you to yet another fantastic and interesting guest, sports lawyer and founder of AFM, Sanjeev Arora. Sanjeev, welcome to the Sports Stories podcast. Uh, thanks very much for giving up your time. I appreciate how busy you are at the moment. I know you've got a number of deals that you're working through at the moment. Um, I'm really excited to have you on today, given the experience that you've shared with me so far. And actually, you're the first sports lawyer on, and the person working in that kind of industry to be on the podcast. So it's fantastic to have you on. As a starter, I'd like to obviously give you a chance to just introduce yourself to the audience. Can you just give us a, an insight into your kind of your background, your setup, and what excites you about sport? Uh, sure. Thanks. So first of all, thank you, Dave, for having me on your podcast. Uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to obviously today and listening to some of the other stories as well, which are very, very interesting from, from different parts of, of the sports world and sports industry. Um, you know, in terms of who I am and my background, so uh, I am uh, a sports lawyer, uh, we can say, whatever that means in terms of uh, different, yeah. different contexts. But uh, where that came from uh, is a football-obsessed uh, fanatic from a very, very young age, uh, born and brought up uh, in London. Uh, and uh, from, a, from a British Asian background, uh, so there is this, there is this kind of um, myth, let's say, that uh, Asians uh, in this country don't really have an interest in, in any sports other than cricket. Uh, well, I'm living proof that that's not, that's not true. And, and my, my kind of community, my family, my friends uh, are very much football assessed people. Um, and growing up, uh, have, I've always had, uh, I grew up in the, in the I mean, I was, I was born in the late 70s. So my introduction to, to the sports world or the football world uh, from a participation point of view, uh, but also from observing is really kind of late 80s, early 90s. Uh, the um, the great Liverpool teams of the late 80s, the, the FA Cup classic matches, the, the start of the Premier League, uh, and myself playing football uh, at any opportunity. Uh, I would say not half bad. Some would say not half good, but that's <laughs> football's always that's about football, opinions. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and yeah, and just and just and just everything about everything about football, uh, having an interest in and, and wanting to be involved with. Now, coming from an Asian background, uh, the idea—well, actually, it's a little bit unfair. I was going to say, coming from an Asian background, the idea of working in sports uh, really it wasn't an option. Uh, actually, probably thinking about it, 20, 20 25 years ago, yeah. uh, I, I don't think many people knew that you could work in sports. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, you, th you look at kind of particularly Asians, uh, you know, following classic uh, career paths, being professions in finance or medicine or the legal world. 
uh, and I chose the League World uh, for, for various different reasons. Uh, I, it never even occurred to me that it was possible to work in sports as a lawyer until uh, I started my law degree. Right. And even actually at the beginning of the law degree, uh, I had probably, uh, similar to other people, in my mind that lawyers are the people you see in courtrooms or in big, you know, private practice law firms. Yeah. Uh, but there was an option in my final year uh, at university to do a sports law elective. And it's the first time I, as I said, I became aware of the fact that you could actually work in sports as a lawyer, understanding the nuances of law in sports, uh, why, why, why it is the case that sports need, does need lawyers. Uh, Sorry to jump in there, but is, is sure. there something about, was it, was it sport that you were interested or was it law that you were interested? Which kind of drove you, do you think? Both, both. So, so it's almost the perfect uh, amalgamation of my interests. Right. Okay. So sport, as I said, football obsessive. Yeah. Uh, love everything about sport, playing, participating, observing, you know, interacting, whatever it may be. The legal side of things for me... Um, it started off uh, originally because I have family members in the legal profession, uh, yeah. and so they, there were kind of certain influences, but also the, the skills and the attributes you need to be a lawyer and the understanding of the importance of law is something I picked up very, very quickly. I actually did a, a, an AS level at law at school. Right. Uh, and I started to understand that for me, law is, um, it's, it, it's almost, if you, if, you imagine, uh, if you imagine a building, if you imagine society as a building, yeah. law is almost the foundations of the building. Right. Uh, and things like the uh, theory behind law, the evolution of law, why it is, yeah. uh, fascinated me from a very, very, very young age. And what was your family influence there? Because you said from a very young age, but you also said you had some family influences. I, I often am curious about how we come to the jobs that we do. What was the role of your family in that? Well, one of, the, one of the heroes in our family uh, is one of my older uh, cousins who is a prominent um, barrister and judge in India. Okay. Uh, he, he, he's represented some of the most high profile, uh, well, represented and defended, uh, sorry, defended and prosecuted some of the most high profile criminals in India, some of the most infamous stories uh, in India. Uh, so here's one. Uh, I have another uncle who's a, who's a magistrate here in the UK as well. Right. Uh, so I think, you know, as, as I was saying, for an Asian, thinking about a professional career, yeah. uh, I wasn't great with, um, which my wife will attest to, I wasn't great with finances, and, um, and I can't stand the sight of blood. So medicine was never going to be an option for me. So <laughs> Your decisions were made for you. <laughs> it's kind of decision made for me, but it, it was definitely very much an area which, which I have an interest in, and, and that kind of logical way of thinking. Uh, thinking outside the box is very much part of my setup as well. Um, so, so law, law was a natural uh, progression for me, but I, I didn't know, as I said, I didn't know I could be a lawyer in sports yeah. uh, at that time yeah. until the sports law elective. Uh, and I just found it fascinating. I found it fascinating. I, I said, why, 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 do, why do sports need lawyers? What is, what is it about the evolution of sports? What is it about the way people participate in sports? What is it about the way people interact with sports? that law is so important. And, and there's so many different streams and so many yeah. different areas. So you, you mentioned there, you know, w what is sports law and what is a sports lawyer? W what is a sports lawyer then in your mind? There'll be loads of people listening into the podcast thinking, wow, this sounds really interesting. We hear a lot about the legal side of sport, much more so nowadays. From your perspective, what is it? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's, it's one that's been debated for many, many years. Is there a specific sports law or is it just the application of law in sports? Yeah. I would probably veer more towards the latter in the sense of uh, whether it be commercial law or employment law or property law or criminal law, whatever it may be. It's how that um, uh, those principles are uh, uh, enabled uh, and um, uh, followed in a sports context. Having said that, there are, very, there are some specific sports laws as well. Okay. And those are the rules and regulations set out by governing bodies and federations in terms of uh, the conditionality of how you participate in sports. So, for example, the FIFA statutes, uh, the UEFA equivalents, the FA equivalents, in terms of, okay, if you want to be part of this competition, you need to abide by certain rules. Yeah. So there are lawyers who... Uh, I, I would say I'm more one of the lawyers who uh, uh, specialise in the field which is transferable across okay. uh, any industry, so on the commercial corporate side. So you're a lawyer who works in the context of sport as opposed to a, a sports lawyer, if that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, but I think that's probably the majority. The majority of people who yeah. are, are lawyers who work in the sports context. The specific sports lawyers who I say who are dealing with, for example, very bespoke issues like transfer system yeah. or uh, disciplinary for you know uh, irregularities in, on the on the field of play itself yeah uh, it's quite rare and and you you can't you can't train from let's say school or university level to do that you just end up in that position you become specialized in that position majority of people like me who are lawyers who go who work into sport so i'm i'm very much on the commercial side so um, you know broadcasting uh, licensing sponsorship uh, and all that kind of areas which are the kind of revenue generators uh, for sports organizations so you're busy so you're busy at the yeah. moment you know in terms of the broadcasting and the commercial side of sport is that is a growing arena well the last six months is probably the most unique uh, in this area since since the last 20 years because of covid because of the impact yeah. of COVID. Uh, and you know what we've seen uh, what we've seen in the last 20 years is uh, an uh, incredible uh, incremental growth uh, in the commercial side of, of sports. I mean, it's obvious to everyone to see. If you look at footage from, you know, 20, 20 years ago to, to what it is today, you know, it's, it's almost like seeing it, it's, a, it's a different sport. You know, it's almost like such a commercialization of everything. So yeah. uh, managing all that from a, from a legal perspective uh, has been very interesting uh, and has been very, as you say, very, very busy. Uh, being involved in these kind of things. Now, uh, obviously the last few months have uh, tested uh, a lot of the provisions in, in various different legal contracts in terms of um, uh, who is obliged to do what uh, in terms of their obligations uh, in the situation of a COVID. Force majeure is a, is a word, is a phrase that comes up quite a, quite a lot in, in different conversations. And I think the critical aspect of sports as an industry is to understand that even if you have a very strong legal position, uh, whilst you may benefit in the short term, long term, if you're looking to essentially safeguard your own interests, what is the detrimental impact on your potential partners uh, and potentially going out of business or whatever it may be, and therefore the knock-on effect to, your, to you as a governing body or as an organisation if you have less potential stakeholders, potential partners uh, in the market. So... It's it's been a it's been a very very interesting time. Um, in some ways enlightening, enlightening. In some ways frustrating. Uh, trying to just 
make people understand or educate people as to, to the long-term consequences of their actions they take today. And I think lawyers play a very important role in that. Because I think one of the attributes, one of the skills of a lawyer is to be able to see not only the details, but the bigger picture as well. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, I think lawyers, uh, in some ways, can step back from the situation and provide an objective perspective, which I think is really important. So Sanjay, in, in terms of you and your journey, a number of listeners might be in here thinking, okay, I'd like to follow in your footsteps. Have you got an example that you could share in terms of, you know, your career direct, something that hasn't gone so well and how have you managed that in your career? And then we'll come to something more positive in terms of actually some of the highlights that you've also um, achieved in your career. I think, I mean, you know, just as a general point of view, anything you want to achieve comes with hard work and it comes okay. with, uh, it comes with, uh downs as well as ups yeah you know I can, I can go through numerous examples of where i went you know before i even got to let's say i mean let's talk about fifa before before i even got to fifa okay you know there are numerous examples of where i, I had knockbacks uh and uh you know times where i thought well is, is it worth pursuing this you know am, am i ever going to get to this point i want to be uh of being a, a sports lawyer so going, going back to what i was saying before you know i did the sports law elective yeah. But I actually qualified at, at ITV, the broadcaster. Okay. Right. I was gone into a couple of law firms, but so I qualified. So this is your journey through to FIFA, really, isn't this it? This is the journey through to FIFA, yeah. So I, I, I was at ITV, uh, again, practicing commercial law. Uh, but wanted to still get into sports law. Uh, I did a, another postgrad diploma in sports law at King's College. Uh, again, another fantastic course, learning, again, garnering more uh, um, understanding, experience, and education around law and sports. Uh, and applied for a couple of uh, sports positions within the UK, wasn't successful. Uh, so, you know, it is a journey. It is a journey. And the point is that you need to just keep striving, you need to keep working hard, because there is a, you know, if you put the work in, there is a good chance that you'll get to where you need to get to. So it was in 2009, uh, or just before 2009, when I applied for the position of FIFA. Uh, and, you know, through, through a combination of hard work and luck, I was successful. Uh, and I joined the commercial legal team at FIFA at the beginning of 2009, a very broad remit across um, uh, at the beginning across uh, you know, the entirety of, of the commercial piece at FIFA, but then eventually specialising in the media and digital digital communications uh, area, which I basically was responsible for. So again, just in terms of your journey and yourself, you mentioned their hard work and kind of luck. Were those the only two attributes personally that you had to, to bring or was there anything else you would recommend to kind of listeners in terms of actually, you know, if you really want to be successful, you, you went through the educational journey in terms of picking up the knowledge. But I'm just wondering about how did you manage yourself to make sure that you gave yourself the best chance of reaching your goal of working for FIFA? Well, I think the uh, some some important things aside from uh, obviously putting the, the the hours in and the grafting, uh, it to um, it's to really kind of research uh, what is the pathway, because it's not obvious. It's not an obvious. It's not an obvious thing. You know, um, uh, probably actually even uh, again starting my legal career, I probably didn't even know that FIFA and UEFA had lawyers, right? <laughs> So identifying that, and thankfully in this era, uh, we have all the knowledge on, at our fingertips uh, through the internet, through Google and, and various other things. But I think also it's, it's about reaching out to people. Right. 
uh, and reaching out to a network. So if there is, you know, I mean, things like LinkedIn are a godsend these days in terms of, you know, uh, trying, to, trying to secure a, a, a career. You know, if there's someone who is a prominent lawyer at a sports organization you're interested in working in, then contact them, you know, because chances are they will respond uh, and they will give you some insights into what it takes to, to get into it, particularly if you're a junior, uh, a lawyer coming through, because um, we always need the next generation to come through uh, and, and, and to, to do the work as well. So uh, I think that was for me. Again, I say a combination of hard work and luck and, and networking. I said that this, the postgrad diploma I did in sports law was a fantastic networking opportunity. There were a lot of people within that course who are working in sports now, also the directors of the course, uh, um, uh, very well um, connected within sports. Also within ITV, uh, the former head of legal for ITV Sports, he moved to UEFA. He's now the general counsel of UEFA. So again, you know, taking the opportunity, knocking on people's doors, uh, you know, sending emails or messages or whatever it may be. Say, look, can we have a chat? Just to get yourself known. Have people understand your ambitions as well. Uh, and then, then you're in their mind. So when opportunities do come up, you know you're you're there in the forefront. They receive your CV or whatever it may be. But I, and I also hear you know you you were happy to put the groundwork in. You know you did the groundwork at ITV and in the other industries, and to open the door to create the opportunity to then move into the the environment. So you know it's not an easy step in there, is it? You did a lot of groundwork, a lot of hard work prior to set the foundations. That ground, that grafting, and that hard work is is the probably the only mandatory part of it uh, you, you can't you cannot skip that part um particularly i think for something with the legal field because you have to be a subject matter expert people are going to rely on your advice and the information you provide to them so it can't be wrong in the first instance uh, and secondly it has to, they have to be able to rely on you they have to be able to trust you so putting in that groundwork, putting it, doing that hard work, understanding your subject, and particularly, as I said, the majority of people who are lawyers uh, are in a broader field and then come into the context of sports, you know, even if you're a subject matter expert on commercial law in a particular field, the skills and attributes you're acquiring, which can be transferable, it's so important to acquire them. You can't, you can't fake it until you make it. That groundwork is 99% of what you need to do. So, Sanjeev, you mentioned there you managed to work your way through the groundwork through ITV and a number of other organisations. The door opened for you to go into FIFA 2009. That was the beginning of, a, 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 I guess, a new chapter in your career. You know, again, a lot of people sat outside in the sport world who like football and like, you know, the industry of sport are very curious about the world of FIFA. Can you give us a bit of an insight as to what it was like? What's the environment? And, you know, what were some of the challenges and the opportunities that you faced while you were there? Yeah, sure. So from, a, from an obvious point of view, for a, for a football obsessive to end up in the, in the corridors of FIFA is, uh, is the ultimate, is, is the dream come true. Now, uh, with that become, comes a responsibility. And I think everyone who worked at FIFA understood that responsibility, uh, certainly at, at my level, in terms of uh, we, have a, we have a duty to, to fulfill to the to the four billion stakeholders, you know, being the football fans around the world, uh, and to, to you know to, to to make the most of that uh, responsibility and that opportunity as well. So, you know, in terms of the in terms of the atmosphere, uh, you're in football. I don't know if you ever get a chance to 
to go to the FIFA building itself. I mean, it's like a palace. It's beautiful. I mean, it's the, the nicest office I'll ever work in, <laughs> in my entire life. Uh, but it's definitely the glamorous side. And, and you, uh, you know, you, you, never, you, you can never avoid that side, let's say. But the, the, the key thing is, is you're there to do a job. So, I mean, example, I'll give you an example of, of, of one situation I was in where um, I was tasked with uh, going to uh, New York for like a four or five day to negotiate with four different um, potential broadcast partners of FIFA for the World Cup rights in the US for the 2018 and 2022 tournaments. Uh, and I was tasked with basically getting four executed agreements uh, over that one week period and returning them with them in my hand. It's not an easy task, you know, particularly when you're negotiating with, uh, I don't know if you ever come across US lawyers who are particularly aggressive, very litigious, uh, and, are, you know, are very determined to, to do everything they can for their client. I went there with that responsibility uh, and with the intention of uh, getting the best position for FIFA with the intention of uh, fulfilling FIFA's objectives, i.e. development of football, sustainability of football, great events, etc. So that's, that's always in the back of your mind, whatever you're doing in terms of the actual practical work you're doing. Uh, and I've got to say, uh, you know, I'm very, very glad to say I, I returned successfully with four contracts, two of them which were then, um, which are still alive today. Uh, and at the time, they were the highest value uh, sports rights contracts in history. So this is the kind of um, world you're living in when you're in the FIFA environment. But you can't get to that point unless you're willing to put the hard work in, unless you understand the, the, the extent or the level of the responsibility that you have. That sounds like a real high in terms of, gosh, you know, you're really impacting on a global stage of football. You know, mm -hmm. and, and within an organisation such as FIFA. What were some of the low times then? Because, you know, I'm appreciative that, you know, you were working in an organisation that was under the scrutiny of the worldwide media and a lot of, you know, a lot of challenges at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there's an adage that says you should never meet your heroes. Right. Uh, I think in some ways uh, I reflect on that phrase in, in terms of my, at least part of my time at FIFA. Uh, aside from the responsibility and, and, and all the kind of glamour of working for FIFA, there is a dark side to FIFA. And a lot of it has been well publicized. We don't need to go into all the details here. But the fact is, um, uh, personal greed taking over from people's responsibilities uh, and their, um, the fulfillment of their objectives towards football and football fans. Uh, we all, we, I mean, it's well publicized what happened in 2015, 2016, in terms of the FBI uh, raids, the Swiss investigation, what was happening with the former regime. Uh, and I was heavily involved uh, in all that, you know, from, from a purely um, innocent perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I definitely wasn't the person with the hand in the till. Uh, but my role was to... Um, uh, to, to help with the uh, collaboration between FIFA and the Swiss prosecutor in terms of providing information and evidence to the Swiss prosecutor in order to help them. So what, what it did for me um, was essentially bring to the fore uh, that darker side of FIFA, which I think a lot of people at FIFA try and 
almost suppress. You just try and get on with your job. Okay. Forget that side because you don't want to rock the boats and you don't want to be have anything which is too negative, uh, uh, have a negative detriment in your career. Um, I'm, he I'm hearing here, Sanjay, this is a bit about how you're managing yourself through this. You know, yeah. I guess different people will manage themselves to the, the trials and the tribulations of working in that environment. But, you know, it was obviously a really challenging time. How did you really feel uh, during that time? How did yeah. it really impact on you personally? Well, this is it. I mean, once, once, it's, so, once it's, it's come to the fore and it's, and it's in your face, there is, there is a, a massive conflict. I had a massive conflict in terms of my moral standards, my moral upbringing, yeah. uh, the, the reasons why I joined FIFA. Okay? Yeah. The reason why I joined FIFA wasn't just, of course, in the first instance, it's always because of your own personal uh, desires. But there, is, there was a strong, there's, through me, there's a strong current of, trying to do the best thing for uh, um, an activity, so football and sports in general, which has such a positive impact on so many people's lives. Uh, and when this negative side is having such a detrimental effect on that, do I want to be part of an organization where the negative stuff, the corruption, the bribery, et cetera, is having a detrimental effect on what is meant to be a very positive outcome for football? Uh, and so that was a massive conflict for me. And it was at that time I decided, uh, you know, it's time to leave. Uh, you know, it's time to, to let's say, um, remove the burden from my shoulders uh, and to be outside of that environment. Now, um, yeah, uh, it's, 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 a very, it's, it was a, it's a very turbulent time. Uh, how I overcame that, I think is one is I think remove myself physically from that environment. So obviously FIFA is based in Zurich. Uh, I returned with my family to London. Uh, I think the second part is to understand that there is a world outside of FIFA. You know, it's not the be all and end all of everything. Even if I've you know strived for 10, 15 years to get to this position, uh, it, it isn't everything. Uh, and there is a whole world out there. So many different things you can do. So you, you pick up on an interesting point before we just move on to, you know, what you were doing next. The, the idea of actually, um, I strive so very hard to achieve my goal. And when I've achieved it or I've got to it, it's not turned out quite like I hoped it would do. And I'm just curious as to, you know, so many of us are striving for different things or, or desire a certain job or a certain role. And then when we turn up there, it might not be quite as we'd hoped. And I'm just kind of curious as to, how did you overcome that? You've shared a little bit about removing yourself, but I'm also, how did you settle with that, um, you know, that disappointment really, that it hadn't turned out quite like you'd hoped? Well, I think probably going too far to say it's a disappointment. Uh, okay. I mean, you know, it's not like the Alexis Sanchez situation where he tried to get out of his contract with Manchester United on the first day. I, I loved working at FIFA. The first five years I, I were incredible. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd achieved what I was looking to achieve. I was working in an environment I was very happy with. Yeah. I was working with football and I, I absolutely loved it. So please don't think that the entire chapter of FIFA was a negative. It, it certainly, certainly wasn't. I think the point I was trying to make is, is that underlying current uh, eventually came to the, came to the surface. Okay. Uh, and that was, that was the point where you say, okay, enough is enough. So um, in terms of overcoming that, the way you, I personally overcome it is to say, well, look, one, I'm not that person. 
Okay, so I'm not the guy taking giving bribes and, and being corrupt. Okay, that's that's not me personally. I've made a conscious decision to move away from an environment where uh, I'm either actively involved in this kind of situation or facilitating it. And the third thing is to say, well, what what attributes or what experiences have I acquired over the past 15, 20 years? How can I utilize those to, to fulfill this sense of trying to give towards the football community? Oh, okay. That has led to AFM, yeah. which is my passion project now. So I'm hearing there that the timing was right actually to move on. I'm seeing and hearing that FIFA was actually um, a, a stepping stone actually, or a part of the journey towards your greater passion and interest, which you've aligned to. And, and I'm hearing now that actually that you've, through the journey, you've actually really crystallized actually what is my purpose and what is my passion here. And, it, and it's bigger than FIFA as an organization. It's actually making a difference, you know, to, to British Asians through football, really, and making a difference through sport. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a very good way of putting it. Uh, and it's probably something I didn't realize until yeah. our, well after I left FIFA. Right. Uh, and so, so what? So this 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 um, mentoring program that I've okay. established. Uh, so this is a, this is AFM now, isn't it? The the mentoring program. This is AFM, the mentoring program. So for 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 many many years, I think even going back to pre university days, uh, there has there's always been this um, conundrum around uh, British Asian footballers why there is a lack of presence of British Asian footballers at the highest level uh, of, uh, of uh, football in the UK. Uh, and I, I kind of touched on it at the, at the beginning in terms of this, um, let's say, myth or a series of myths around British Asians that they only like cricket, uh, they don't have the um, right physicality or mentality uh, to, to make it to the highest grade of, fo of uh, football. The, the myth may have been true for, for some of the first generation immigrants, but yeah. in terms of yeah. second generation, which is myself, and third generation, fourth generation, uh, those particular stereotypes are an utter nonsense. And I can yeah. say that categorically today. Um, there is a huge amount of interest in football, but uh, you know, both on an individual level, but also family and community level. Um, uh, physicality, okay, I'm in my early 40s now, so maybe I, I no longer have the physicality, but I can assure you there are some fantastic, fantastic, exceptional uh, young British Asian talent out there. Uh, and mentality, I mean, we see it in lots of different sectors. The British Asians have been successful uh, in, in different environments, not just in business, not just professions, but also entertainment and various other things as well. So uh, the, 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 the problem is, the last 20 years, many different stakeholders have only ever talked about the problems. They've only ever talked about, well, it didn't happen because of this, or it didn't happen because of that. And then that includes the FA. The FA has, has uh, launched various different programs since the early 90s, trying to, again, come to the, to the root of this problem. No one has ever come up with the, the solution. There are a number of uh, positive uh, activations in different parts of the, the country, uh, in terms of local community. Uh, the issue is it's very disparate. Uh, and because it's not unified, it's quite difficult to, for, for there to be speedy progression. Uh, and the point is, no one has ever brought it together. Uh, it's, in my mind, it should be the FA. But they're not. And that's for different reasons. I think primarily resource. Uh, it comes down to the private sector. Uh, supporting the younger generation to make sure that the, uh, the, the pathways to a professional career give uh, belief to young players that they, they can make the grades. They can make it to the highest levels of football. You know, there's always this, 
this point of saying, well, once you get one who breaks through, uh, they're a role model for the others. Well, we can't wait for the one person to get through. We have to try and help that one person to come through. So what AFM does is a three-pronged approach. The first is a nationwide scouting of the top uh, 20 to 25 uh, elite British Asian footballers aged between the years seven to 14, approximately, uh, to come aboard to a mentoring program. Now, the mentoring program itself uh, isn't, um, let's say, the football technical side. It's all the stuff around it. So it's all the support stuff around it. So be it counselling, be it logistical support, be it financial support, be it educational support as a, as a, as a insurance in case you, you don't make the grade. Uh, and then also a promotion to clubs and scouts to ensure that they understand that these players are available. And, um, this, is, this is funded through um, sponsorship and investors uh, coming aboard who... Uh, are taken up by the kind of inclusion and diversity aspect of it. Uh, and then the third side, the third part is, is obviously a representation uh, side. So the idea is that the funding that the, the agency receives goes towards supporting the next cycle okay. of younger players coming through. So almost a community around this yeah. to support each other to go through. Um, and so, and so that, that's the idea. And actually this summer just gone uh, was when we were going to host the first uh, set of trials. Now, unfortunately, because of COVID, uh, we, didn't, we didn't get the chance to do that. But it doesn't mean um, it, it's still not; uh, it, it's still going to fall away. Uh, so we're hoping now targeting next summer, yeah. uh, we can commence the trials, and it'll be uh, in the south, uh, southeast area, one in Birmingham, one in uh, the northwest. Uh, and I'm still looking to procure uh, sponsorship and investment uh, behind it as well. Uh, again, I think it ticks a lot of boxes. Uh, for the marketing departments of, you know, sportswear products or, or anyone who's targeting not only the British Asian community, uh, but subcontinent, uh, the, the, you know, the Asian subcontinent uh, with a potential, you know, billion people market. So uh, I think, you know, we've seen many, many times um, certain clubs going to India, trying to establish a presence there. Yeah. Uh, with I mean, let's let's be honest with the idea of selling merchandise and selling and selling shirts. You know, if you have a player on your doorstep that can help to promote your merchandise and your shirts, the potential customer is not going to care whether they're born in Mumbai or Macclesfield. You know, the the, the point is uh, that they they can be brand ambassadors uh, for your for your, either your organisation or, or your club. So that, that this is me fulfilling my objectives of uh, you know giving back to the football community uh, and and is, is my passion project I mean it's not my bread and butter in terms of ideally I would love to do it full full time but I think the economic climate we're in uh, my legal consultancy work which is what I'm doing at the moment is yeah. uh, what I would consider as my bread and butter as the as the likes of Messrs Shankly and Paisley used to say about the league title. Um, and that's what it sort of pays the bills. But my passion project, if we get enough funding behind it, then uh, in an ideal world, it would be my, my full-time project. Brilliant. Well, Sanjeev, what I can tell from the way you've delivered the message and the story behind it is your passion for the project, actually, and your desire to bring this forward. And, and I, I particularly love the idea how it's evolved out of your career and you've kind of finding the passion from the journey that you've been through both you know working on ITV doing your studies in the early days right the way through FIFA but actually coming to a, a real purposeful place and bringing your expertise your connections 
and your and your desire to make a difference to the sporting community and, and one community that's very close to your heart as well. So I, I really get that. And, and thank you so much also for sharing your sort of openness around the environment that you work in, because I think looking in on the sporting world, we often see it as a, you know, it's, it's a place where everything just works very swimmingly well. And actually when we get underneath it, it we have highs and we have some lows and it's a, it's a real place where we have to really navigate through. And I, I hear that's part of your story. So thank you for sharing that really honestly. Thank you. In, in terms of bringing us to, to the end, you know, what I'd like to do is just pick your brains a little bit on a couple of questions that would give some real tangible thoughts or tips to our listening audience. You've come on a journey, you're a, um, a very well-educated person, you've developed yourself. What two or three books or readings might you refer to that would maybe guide some of our listeners or maybe inspire them? Um, yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, uh, books. Um, I have, a, I have an extensive library at home. Uh, my wife uh, is she's constantly complaining about how it's, it keeps increasing and I should put some in storage, but there are many in there. Um, a book I read uh, a few years ago was a real uh, eye-opener uh, and blew my mind. It was a book called um, Sapiens, uh, A Brief History of Humankind uh, by Professor Yuval Harari. Um, I love my football books. Uh, and uh, what, actually, one thing that um, used to used to a little bit be a bit of a frustration working in sports administration is so prior to joining FIFA, um, when I watched a football match, I would experience it like any supporter does. Uh, you know, you, you love good goals and great passes and solid defending, etc. At FIFA, when I was in the kind of commercial legal administration side of, of, of uh, football. I would start to experience football matches with that hat on. And it's quite frustrating. You're looking at perimeter board advertising and TV graphics and, and all these kind of things, which are so superfluous and, and you know, not important as part of the football. So a couple of books actually helped to bring me back to what, what I love now is the strategic and tactical side of a football match, which I absolutely adore now. Uh, one is Inverting the Pyramid by uh, Jonathan Wilson. Uh, another one is Football Against the Enemy by Simon Cooper. Uh, both fantastic books. And I try and implement uh, some strategic elements from there into my, my local amateur football team. But try, trying to get my boys to, uh, to do a high press when they've been out drinking the night before is, uh, <laughs> isn't always successful. But there you go. Uh, so, so on that note then, in terms of actually preparing yourself to be the best version of you, how do you go about that to prepare yourself both physically and mentally on a sort of a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, I think well, uh, I think preparation for for lawyers is, is again is one of these mandatory uh, elements, uh, and again it's part of our training. So, I mean, it depends on the situation, obviously. You know, if we're talking things like a meeting or an interview or a negotiation, uh, you know, if I anticipate uh, it's going to be a one-hour meeting. I would prepare and do my research as if it was going to be a three-hour meeting, you know, cover all bases. And that's the basic, and I think that's an obvious one. What I would say from a, um, let's say from a, a philosophical point of view is when, to prepare yourself best for a situ given situation, the most important, the two most important aspects I would say is one is self-awareness. And what I mean by that is uh, it's not possible for, any person to be a subject matter expert on every single field, on every single topic. 
there are going to be aspects which you're very good at and aspects which you're not very good at. So in terms of your preparation, if you're, if you're aware of those and you're honest enough with yourself about it, then you will prepare yourself to ensure that those elements you're not particularly strong on, you are even more uh, prepared for or, or, or you've done the, the uh, particular research about it. And it's very important. I think this point about self-awareness is very important because a lot of people go into situations thinking, I will try and, particularly let's say for it's, it's an interview, I will exaggerate my, my good points or I will maybe lie on my CV. You're lying to yourself. And, you, and the, the most probable outcome is you're going to twist yourself into knots. And then I would say the second aspect of preparation, uh, which is very key, is to, to put yourself in the shoes of the, the people, other people in that situation. So again, if it's a business meeting or, or, or uh, an interview, uh, understanding, using your empathy to understand, well, what are their objectives? What are they looking to get out of the situation? What, what do they need from you? What can you contribute? And once you start to understand these particular aspects, it makes the reason why you're in that situation so much easier to understand and to prepare for. So I think, that's, I think those are key uh, skills to consider before you're in, to prepare for any situation. Brilliant stuff. Thank you. Well, two or three quick questions here then. Um, what advice would you give to a teenage version of yourself, given your story and your career direction that you've got to? Because there'll be a, a number of people wanting to follow in your footsteps. No, so what, what advice might you give to a teenage version of you? Um, I think the most important, as I said right at the beginning, the most important thing is uh, hard work. Yeah. Okay? You, you can't escape from it. So Sanjeev, if I rephrased it then and said, what would you, what would you do differently now? Uh, I would say that, I would, I would say what I, what I wish I knew then. Well, it's difficult because, you know, like, like we said, uh, like I said at the beginning, there's, there's, there's always going to be highs and lows in every, in every yeah. person's journey. Uh, and almost in some ways, the lows are uh, as valuable as the highs in terms yeah. of um, garnering experience and, 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 and understanding uh, what you need to do going forward. So in some ways, you don't want to give yourself too much advice at the beginning. <laughs> it's, it's almost a sense of, you know, learn as you go along. Yeah. Because, you know, but I mean, just to, I mean, just to, just to give a, a, an answer to the question, I would say, um, don't be too hard on yourself. You know, when things do go badly, um, yeah, don't, 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 don't treat yourself, uh, don't knock yourself. Okay, so last two questions. Could you identify, you know, two or three key people that have really influenced your life? And I, I appreciate there's lots, and I know this is maybe quite a hard question, but are there any people that you refer back to and you think, gosh, they were key at particular turning points in my career or my life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I mentioned one before, was the, the, you know, the, the cousin who's a, who's a yeah. judge in terms of the legal field. Uh, the 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 my first legal boss uh, Barry Matthews at ICV who who gave me the opportunity for a training contract as well and he he's he saw something in me uh, which uh, you know I'll always be grateful for uh, and then I mean as I said there, there, there are numerous people uh, going through uh, sports and and actually again going back to this point about learning as you go along there are many people you learn from because they don't do a good job as an adage that I always say in terms of being an influence on people is uh, the way you treat people on, when you're on the way up is the way you will be treated in the way, when you're on the way down. And I think that's a really key thing for people who are in position of influence to understand. It's something I've learned that uh, 
you know, the, the way, I mean, very simply, the way you treat people is, is, is so important, not only for the present, but for the future as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think, uh, I said, I mean, we could speak all day about the, the different individuals who have, um, who have influenced my career and I've been very, very thankful for and grateful uh, towards. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, Sanjeev, my very last question, and this is also a, a nice one, is, you know, you've been kind enough to give up your time and your insight, your vulnerability, the highs and lows of your sports story so far. And I very much appreciate with the projects that you're working with, with AFM, this is maybe even the start of a new sports story and that journey. But um, whose sports story would you be curious to hear more of and why? Uh I mean, it's a great question. I'm loving all these kind of sports story series uh, and, you know, the, the abundance of sports stories, documentaries you see now. It's so incredible to see the, the things that go, go on behind the scenes. I would like to hear the stories of, um, maybe this is a bit tongue in cheek, but I would like to hear the stories of the, the people who are in power in football, uh, numerous to mention, and are still in power in football, but... I would caveat it by saying they each have to be injected with a truth serum before they start uh, <laughs> telling their story. <laughs> so that's my little tongue-in-cheek answer to, yeah. uh, to the question. Well, and a good answer because as time goes on, hopefully we might get to hear some of the truth and the stories that come out of those key people that are very influential. Not, not yeah, just in football, actually, but also in, in sport per se. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. absolutely. Well, Sanjeev... All I can say is thank you so much for sharing your journey. It's fascinating for me just to hear the, the lawyer side and the sports law side because, you know, we haven't had a, a, a person working in a, a really high-profile position within sports administration, and it, it's such a key part. You know, I think we, we watch as spectators, we engage in the learning and development, but I think the role that you have played and the journey you've been on is also very key in, in the, the functioning of sport, to be fair. But also I think we can take so many learnings and one of the things that I really hope from the Sports Stories podcast is a number of people can learn not just in and out of sport, but through the vehicle of sport. And, you know, you've held a very senior leadership uh, and managerial position. And I think there's so many leaders and managers that are in different contexts that can learn from your experience there. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, thank you very much. And, and just to bring us to an end, if people would like to find out a little bit more about your, you and the work that you do and your story, um, how might they be able to make contact with you or find out a bit more? As I was saying before, I'm open to have a chat with anyone who's looking to get into sports or is in sports or is in the same situations as I was in. What I'll do is, as I always do, I'll pull out some of the key notes and the messages from the podcast. I'll share them on the show notes and I'll, I'll make sure that those contact details are available. So should people want, wish to, they can have a look on the show notes and, and pick up the details from there to make contact. Perfect. And Jeeve, once again, thanks ever so much and good luck with the projects going forward, both in the law side, but also with the AFM. And, and I'd love to hear more as we go. So hopefully we can have you back on the Sports Stories podcast for, for part two at a later stage or in maybe, a, you know, who knows, a year's time and see how things are progressing. That would be great. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the time, Dave. That's really brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, Dave. Well, yet again, an interesting insight into the world of sports through the eyes of a sports lawyer and British Asian football fanatic. Firstly, it was fantastic to get a small insight into the world of FIFA during what has been a turbulent time for the organisation running world football. But Sanjeev also presented a reality check that working in such organisations does at times present a great deal of stress and pressure, and not just glamour. There was also the theme of working hard that comes through his story, which aligns to many of the previous Sports Stories guests sharing how they became successful. 
I also value Sanji's vulnerability in him sharing some of the hard decisions he had to make and how to navigate those tough times. What also particularly resonated with me was how his experiences within and through sport had aligned to engage him with the project to support British Asian footballers. Recognizing and channeling energy into what he calls his passion project was great to see. This leads me to ask you the following questions. Sanjeev identified when enough was enough and he had to move on from FIFA for both his physical and mental well-being. What in your life do you need to stop putting energy into and leave behind for your personal and professional well-being? And secondly, how can you identify and move closer to engaging in your passion project more of the time? I hope you value the questions and insights I pose as well as take your own from listening in. I just love seeing some of the commonalities and themes from the guests, whether they are athletes, coaches, administrators, or leaders. For me, sport really does surface some fantastic principles and allows opportunities for people to grow. With this in mind, I just want to remind you that we will be making some fantastic resources and support services available. So keep an eye on all of the normal social channels. Alternatively, look at the website, www.sportstories247.com. As always, please continue to send in your feedback and reviews on Apple are always much appreciated. So once again, a big thanks to Sanji for being with me today and thank you for listening in again. I much appreciate it. Have a great week and I look forward to having you with me, Dave Levine, again for next week's Sports Stories podcast.